This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast. Yo, what's going on guys? I want to welcome you back to another episode of Pivotal Conversations. Um, So, one thing I want to mention before we dive into this episode and give you some context to the episode is over the next month, we're going to be bringing you uh, a whole month uh, of podcast episodes dedicated to fitness technology. Uh, And the reason we're doing it, I mean, you guys have heard me, I I speak pretty, I'm pretty vocal about it. I think... um, I think technology is shaping uh, our industry at the moment. I think with the big guys and the big players coming into, um, you know, the the big players coming into the space, I really think that we're we're obviously seeing uh, technology be accelerated dramatically, um, and I think that it's it's definitely going to change the way the industry uh, functions in a sense, right? So uh, we're going to dedicate a whole month uh, of fitness technology education uh, and podcast so this is going to include guests it's going to include in-house business talk uh, about how you can apply it uh, and you know some core concepts that you want to understand but I, I think just initially like there's something I want to explain and you know a lot of people when you they hear me talk about this they think to themselves yeah but you know like Apple Fitness like that you know we do different things like I'm a coach I help people acquire a skill or I do this blah 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 Right, and and I get it, and and you're not exactly wrong, right? But the reality is, is that competition exists in many different levels, and you know most people only see the narrow level. They only see, okay, well, you know, if I'm working at a gym, my competitors are the other people at my gym. If I'm working as an online coach, my competitors are other online coaches. And the reality is, like the the thing that actually the the level of competition that actually matters the most in the current day is resource the most important thing to an individual is time and the second most important thing to an individual is money that is what humans value most because money buys food money is a key to survival in today's modern age and time is the most valuable and you know quickly becoming the most valuable or I guess accelerating because it's scarce, you know, like the the iPhone to some people takes up five hours of their fucking day, right? And it's like that is, you know, conscious, we are unconscious to this, you know, like because it's, it's addictive, you know, it's taking up our time, but we are conscious that we do not have as much time. Um, and, th- and that's why, you know, a lot of technology is purely there to save people time. You know, Uber was born to save people time hailing a cab in fucking, in the rain, right? Um, You know, Netflix saved people time from fucking going to the video store. Like, the reality is, is that's what technology is here to do. Uh, and, and time is the greatest resource. And, you know, these big companies, what they're doing is they're saving people time. They're making decisions easy for them. That's what technology does. And if somebody is spending their, you know, is spending their time uh, doing a Peloton workout, they are not coming to the gym. They are not seeking online coaching. So that means it is shaping and it is a form of competition. And that is important. And, and that's why I think that understanding technology and making sure you understand technology is absolutely fucking pivotal and is going to be pivotal to the progress 
and your ability to separate yourself from the pack and to survive, more importantly, just to fucking survive over the next two years, five years, whatever you want to call it, it is absolutely pivotal, right? Because that's, you know, it's on a resource level. That's that, you know, like Netflix's biggest competitor is sleep. It's not fucking other streaming services because they understand that, if you know if people aren't spending time watching Netflix, they're probably going to bed. That's the only time we turn it off, and that's an important lesson for people out there in the fitness industry who don't think Apple Fitness and Barry's Bootcamp going online and Peloton and these things are going to affect the industry uh, and and affect the way it's done. It's going to change the perception. So that's why we're doing a Fitness Technology Month. Um, Today's episode is with an extremely smart human. Uh, it's an honor to talk with him. I think he's probably one of the most intelligent guys I've met uh, and spoken to and, and had the honor to. Um, we're, we're talking today with uh, Dr. Ian Kaplan, right? So he's the he's like the C, uh, the, the head of product uh, at Hybrid Performance Method. I did a podcast with Hayden Bow not too long ago, and he said, you, you should really have a chat with uh, Ian. I think you're, you'll enjoy it. And, and he was definitely right. So shout out to Hayden. Um, if he's listening, thanks for the recommendation. But um, there's, a, there's a few really good points in here. And we kind of start off discussing um, the way technology is shaping the fitness industry. But I think towards the end, you get an insight, not into just what is going to make you and, and differentiate you along the journey and, and why you probably need to really put some effort into understanding technology and how it shapes the industry, but just into success in general and like, you know, continuous progression and why why some people progress and why some people don't. You know, I'm very lucky that I get to talk to some pretty influential and successful people. And, you know, the one thing that I can say across the board is that there's an absolute love for learning uh, and there's an absolute love for progression that drives them internally and they don't do anything for external gratification. And I think that's just one thing that, you know, I got out of my con- this conversation is that, you know, in reality, the people that are the most successful don't do something. You know, we understand that results occur, but really we're doing it for self-progression and we're not looking for any external gratification. And I say we because I, I believe I'm in that camp. And I, I really want to stress that when you're listening to this episode, I think you want to at least, and, and, and maybe, you know, maybe you're not doing everything you can do, right? But time's not up and, and time's your biggest asset. So start using it. And I think that's what you want to get. You want to get this, you want to find something you love so much, you're so passionate about that you could learn for it. You know, you just don't get sick of it. Uh, and, and progressing through it and and, um, and and learn for the sake of learning. You know, it's not it. It's actually fall in love with learning. And I think that's one thing that Ian communicates really well. Um, so as I said, I'm not going to bother you too much with this intro. We're going to kind of kick on with this. But Fitness Tech uh, Month is here. Tune in. Get excited because if you're going to be successful over the next 10 years, you're probably going to have to understand technology and understand how it's going to shape the industry. So the next month is for you. Uh, and if, as, as always, if you enjoy the episode, um, let us know, give us, you know, reach out. Um, we would love your feedback. We would love to hear if you enjoyed it. Uh, obviously hit the subscribe button, um, so that you can, we can, uh, you know, the more support we get, the, the, the greater, uh, level of guests and, and more, you know, amazing guests we can get on such as Ian, such as anyone we've had on this podcast. We want to continue to do good work for you guys. Um, so, you know, get on it and, enjoy see you on the other side guys
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am sitting here with Ian Kaplan. Uh, so Ian is the one of the, the brainiacs um, from Hybrid Performance Method. Um, he's someone who I was lucky enough to have a conversation with just about three weeks ago, um, first time we've met. And, you know, after that conversation, it was definitely, um, it was a no-brainer to get him on the podcast. He's someone who's extremely intelligent, but also has a really great understanding of the digital uh, the digital business model uh, and the digital landscape when it comes to uh, owning a business uh, and run and building a successful business in the fitness industry. So, Ian, where where does this find you for the listeners? I'm coming in from uh, South Florida, specifically Pompano Beach, pretty close to Miami, where hybrid is. So awesome, awesome. Hybrid, yeah. Is it is it uh, sunny there at the moment? Is it always sunny in Florida? It's always sunny, except for the three months a year when it's raining, um, which is not now. It's, it's, it's very nice right now. It's winter. I mean, it's not your reverse winter or whatever you have going on in, you know, in the other hemisphere. Um, Australia is weird, man. Like Melbourne, like it's, it's just like, you know, it'll be raining. It'll be summer, like literally meant to be peak summer. And it'll be raining at like 11 a.m. And then all of a sudden the sun will pop out at 3 p.m. And then it'll yeah. start raining again at like 9 p.m. And it's just like, fuck me. What are we, what, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's kind of like Florida. It rains three in the afternoon in the rainy season. And then, but in the winter, it doesn't rain at all. Um, I feel like whenever I see stories of somebody in Florida, it's always sunny. Like, I never see. They like... go during the, that's because they go during the winter when there's no rain. Nobody comes here in the summer when it rains every day. It's just, <laughs> just for 20 minutes. Right, it'll like it'll be like a thunderstorm for twenty minutes, and then it's over. Um, but yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Um, I listened to the podcast with Hayden a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago at this point. I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, far out. Time's flying, huh? I, I think yeah. it was maybe start of December. Yeah, but yeah, it was a good conversation, and and you know he was the one who kind of um, he insisted in getting in contact with you. Um, yeah, which. Um, you know, it makes sense. I think, you know, especially after the conversation we had a few weeks ago. Um, so what I'll get you to do, man, is do you want to tell everyone a little bit about your journey, um, uh, kind of how you got to where you are right now and, um, and then a little bit about what you do right now as well because I think some people will be interested in that. Okay. So the short version of my story, which hopefully some people are interested in, is um, I like to say I'm uh, – I'm a chiropractor by training, but not by trade anymore, and also not really by heart. Um, it's kind of what I went to school for. Um, I was always interested in coaching and fitness, and I did, you know, fitness myself. I did lots of CrossFit, you know, was coaching people in gyms, was coaching individuals. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I kind of went the clinical route because it was interesting for educational purposes. Um, and I kind of like that, but, but, you know, as you evolve in that curriculum, you kind of... Uh, figure out what you like, and what you don't like about it. But in through that process, since I'm local, I found hybrid. Um, Stephanie has a funny story about how we got connected. But the short version of that is we kind of, I was bored in class and ended up just commenting on Instagram posts and started a conversation. And that eventually led to like her asking me to come in and like help with content, like, you know, helping with some of the social content and also helping build out kind of more kind of long form, rigorous kind of educational content. 
which we, which was kind of the first couple months of what I did, um, like part time while I was still in school. Um, and that's kind of when the book started. By the way, we have a book that's that's will be out soon as of this recording. Hopefully, it's available for pre order. At, you know, we'll we'll plug the links at the end. So get to the end. Um, but that's kind of where all that whole process started. But soon after me joining, I kind of fell into working much more on the technical side of things, just because there was like an opportunity there that, I, that everyone kind of knew was there. Just no one at that point had kind of taken it upon themselves to do it. You know, and I thought, yeah, why not me? Um, and then the more I did it, it was kind of more out of like a sense of obligation that I, that some that I probably should be the person to know this stuff. And then as I learned more about it, I got more interested in it. And now you kind of discover, you know, what I was looking for in, in clinical work, which was just like, you know, kind of a career full of learning. I didn't find as much of that as I would like. And I found more of it on in the technical side of things. There's always a new thing to learn. And you learn it for the purpose of building things, which is really cool in, in my mind. So that's kind of how- When, you, when you say technical, you, you're kind of talking about the, the I guess we're talking um, technology and, and I yeah. guess the back end and developing- yeah. Uh, I guess a frictionless service or frictionless products and these kind of things. Yeah. So to my mind, there's like a barrier between like, um, I don't want to say technical and non-technical, but it's like there are certain types of, of, of roles that fall into the category of, of roles that have certain skills that usually require kind of computer skills, but computer mm -hmm. skills at the level of like programming a machine. And th those aren't just like software engineering. That's like, you know, you know, using programming languages to, to do work, to do, to, to build software that does, you know, jobs. It's not necessarily like building websites, but it's going to be any kind of software. And then there's, then there's like business roles that like will kind of connect that software to the consumer. Um, at least that's kind of in our world where we're working with mostly software or even the software that, that connects a consumer to a physical good. Um, there's always kind of software in the middle and there's people that are kind of working, you know, in front of the software and then there's people who are working with the software. So there's mm -hmm. kind of a hard barrier there. Um, mm -hmm. and usually you think about it in terms of like, sometimes people think about it in terms of like creatives and logical people, but I don't really see that distinction. There's, there's a high amount of creativity in, in designing, you know, software. Um, it's just like the type of person that is interested in those things. Like, do you work in Illustrator or do you work in HTML? Like, it's the same creative creativity. It's just two kind of different ways of, you know, thinking about the same th end thing, which would be like a, a document. Um, mm -hmm. So that's what I mean. So like moving in that direction because there was no one speaking that language to, or or there's no one speaking that language in my mind that was good enough. Where like I felt like I should be the one doing it, right? Um, so there was a period of time where I really invested and I still do invest because there's a never ending kind of amount of things you can invest your time into learning so that you can operate in that world, right? Which, which is kind of the, you, you can think about in terms of front end or back end. Again, we're kind of all kind of conceptualizing using different language, the same thing, front end or back end or platform or service, like much more on the platform or back end side of things, right? That actually power the, the user facing experience, right? Um, cause, cause, cause my, my, um, as we got more and more into, as I got more and more into the company, we realized that we had all these cool ideas and we, we 
and some of them were made real already, but we had more ideas. And the way it became very clear to me very early on um, for the first time, because I never really worked that environment was, oh, to make those ideas real, you have to know how to make them real. And making them real involves building a lot of stuff, right? And you buy stuff so that you can build your own stuff. And then that you're, and in our world, the stuff you build is really your competitive advantage. And, and our core business is a software product. It's a massive competitive advantage, right? Because, yeah. you know, what, what you'll see is like, and, and you guys can attest to this is like, you know, there's a big difference between um, outsourcing something like that. And then obviously having the infrastructure within to, to build it yourselves and the flexibility as well to like what you said in terms of coming up with ideas and being able to execute them. Um, whereas if you're, you know, maybe potentially um, going to outsource these, you have to under, you probably have to do a lot more due diligence and there's a, there's a, like a, a larger um, emphasis on probably uh, effective or uh, efficient judgment in a sense. Like it's like, you know, you that you literally have to be able to make a call on a certain product because you're outsourcing and probably pay, paying a premium to get it built. And, yeah. you know, there's a big chance by the time it gets built, you know, the, yeah. the, the industry has already moved past it um, potentially. So um, it does make sense with what you're saying is to have that internally so that you can kind of make it an iterative process um, yeah. and, and use customer feedback, which I'm sure we're going to dive into at some point. Yeah. So, yeah. I, so my thing is right. That goes into the builder buy conversation is like, what do you build and what do you buy? Um, and probably many people in this, in this conversation will build or buy at a different level. So we chose to build at the level of the software as a service, but we're still buying a ton of stuff, right? We don't do what we don't host our own servers. Like almost nobody does that anymore, unless you're a huge company. Um, and, and we're, it's like, so it's like, at what level do you compose the things you buy and what do you build on top of them? For us, that's a lower level and kind of probably most like, you know, sole proprietor coaches out there or coaches working in small businesses where they buy the serve the software that's sold to trainers. And then they, and then their built deliverable is just what they deliver in the software. But the lower in the stack you go, the more potential value you deliver. Right. Yeah. So, so like, I, I'm going to try to make this, uh, I guess, talk the language that people are going to understand is the difference that you're talking about within that is, okay, hybrid will build their own software and, you know, potentially some, you know, other people in the industry may potentially use something like Trainerize or True Coach or exactly. these softwares that are already built um, where you don't have flexibility on what you can do within them, but they do kind of in, in ways create that frictionless um, customer experience that we're talking about, or I guess we're going to talk about in the future. So that, that's just, the, I guess, is that a correct way to give yeah. people an understanding of what you're talking about? Yeah, because I think that is a choice. I think the, the, the choice you presented before, which was like, do you, do you go out and do you tell someone, hey, build me software, I'll pay you X tens of thousands of dollars and then tell me when it's done is not a real, it's, it's a choice that people offer to people, but it's a trap because regardless, cause regardless of whether you do that or you, or you, hi, you physically hire people and you manage them, that relationship should be no different. And you can't substitute managing people directly if you aren't prepared to like really dive into the details of what's being built. Because if you think you're you're you are working with a con, you know a contractor or whatever, and you don't need to worry about any of the thing that's going to be built until it's delivered, then you you're setting that relationship up for failure. Which is kind of what we talked about before this call is that that's a very hard it's very hard to 
to essentially build a product without knowing a lot about how the product works. And, and that's kind of, you know, I, I guess that's what you were talking about before, right? With, with your role, it's like, you know, you've got that understanding of what the product needs to look like and how it needs to function, which is very different to actually programming it. Because if the programmer doesn't have that understanding, or at least the business person that links the two together doesn't yeah, have that understanding of both, then you're going to, you're probably going to uh, run into some troubles. Yeah. So there's two things. There's like, there's like engineering requirements and there's business requirements. So like the business requirements are like, what does a user need to do, right? What, what, what is a successful product, right? You know, what has value in the market? And then there's like the engineering requirements is like, does it load fast enough? Can it actually collect payments? You know, the, you know, does it, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. Like, and that's hard stuff. Like it's not trivial to put something on the internet and then collect money in exchange for that thing, right? The, the, the customer's experience with the internet has gotten much better the path to deploy things to the internet has not gotten that much easier. It's actually gotten complicated, much more complicated for many things. And there's, there's a significant barrier to, to deploying things on the internet that are not anything more complicated than like a WordPress site or something like, just like a blog. Like it's pretty easy to, to post a blog. It's very hard to, to post these very kind of um, complex applications that do many things or, or serve many purposes. Um, but it yeah, so like that, so like, but that all needs to be considered when building products and features, right? If you're if you're going to take that on, like, because you need to think about, you know, authentication, which is a hard, which is a whole thing. You, know, you need to think about, you know, processing payments. You need to think about, you know, speed and performance. You need to think about availability. You need to think about safety, right? You need to think about, you know, security and compliance, which is a whole discipline, right? How do you manage keys, and like, Right? How do you manage your infrastructure right, to minimize costs? Because you can easily just blow out infrastructure costs by not thinking about how that is hosted right? and how you minimize your footprint in the cloud. Like, so that's like the engineering stuff. Right? And then there's sub-disciplines within that. It's like, if your page doesn't load, like it's a, it, that's a breaking experience. Right? If it fails sometimes, if it fails in unexplained ways, that's also a breaking experience. If it doesn't handle errors, right? that those, these are all basic software principles. If, if the system isn't built in a way so that it can be maintained, then it works now, but it actually doesn't, it won't work in the future. So that's not engineering anymore. Um, yeah. I heard an interesting quote that the difference between programming and engineering is that engineering is just programming over time, right? So if you program with, with the idea that it will be working in the future, you're now engineering something. If you just write something that's programming something. Um, so I think people um, who go to that level of, of the product need to have an engineering hat that they can put on. And I, and that's something that I, that has been really valuable to me to learn and to learn from engineers and to like, and to, and to take on engineering projects myself and to learn those lessons has been really valuable. And I think it changes the way you think about any product and it think, and changes the way you approach business, you know, problems, because there are a lot of engineers who become great business people. Sometimes that's sometimes it stands in their way, but I think, people with engineering backgrounds end up being some of the best business people. hundred percent they do. Right. Like it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Oh, sorry. You keep going. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. So I just said you're forced to learn these valuable lessons. So you can come up with all these great examples of, of engineers who are, who are some of the better CEOs and at huge, at huge companies, especially technology companies. Yeah. Well, it's, it's crazy. You know, I was it's, this kind of, com this initial part of the conversation that we're having just, uh, I'm reading Elon Musk's biography at the moment. Um, 
he's probably one of the greatest examples and it's talking about the, you know, when he started um, SpaceX, you know, like um, he had the choice, he could either go and buy a rocket um, and then, you know, he f- ended up figuring out that they could um, probably, they could build the, you know, uh, their own rocket uh, or at least their own engines um, for mm-hmm. a fraction of the cost. Um, and that ended up becoming their value proposition, right? It was like, we can do, we're not going to build the big rockets, the, the, the massive ones, but we're going to build these small ones and we're going to build them at a fraction of the price, which probably makes, is, is bringing, you know, um, aeros, you know aerospace and, and that kind of sector closer to um, the everyday customer in a sense and, and trying, to, trying to marry that, which is, it, which is really interesting because, you know, when you said that, it was kind of like this kind of, that initial part of the conversation, that was what was binging in my head. Um, so what we'll do, we'll, get, we'll kind of get back on track and we'll go, okay, so what do you do now, right? And, and you know, what, what's your main role at hybrid at the moment? Okay, so since we're, I classify us as a small company, I know in fitness sometimes we're like this company that people look up to. We're a small, in the grand scheme of things, we're a small company, so we're, trying, we're lean and agile. My role that I carry is chief operating officer, but in reality, I kind of describe myself as a product manager slash, but I do like, you know, data science. So like, cause that, cause product manager involves like actually getting the data to make decisions. So I actually have to right get the data myself. I'm not handed anything. If I have a dashboard, I either have to configure it or build one if one doesn't exist mm-hmm. um, to get that information. And then I also work really closely with our, with our development team, like on the app, like, so, um, and on services that would, that kind of either work with the app or will, or will be built in the future. So I get this kind of, I like to think of this kind of, um, I'm really the owner of the, the software part of the organization because the marketing and the content is all so good and I get to contribute with that and I get to like interface with that, but like, you know, that's not where I'm needed. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like my home and where I can, where I, where my time is best spent is, is working on the product. And, the, and when I say product, I mean the software, right. Yeah. And then also like talking about coaching and like, and helping us kind of deliver a better kind of workout experience because that's kind of yes. dependent. It's dependent upon how that stuff is and ends up being kind of served in the product. And since I have some background knowledge in that, that kind of allows me Helps. to do that. Um, awesome. Yeah. It's cool, man. I really, I really love to give that insight to people because I think that, um, you know, even just the conversation we've had till now, it does, you know, I've got this firm belief and, and a big part of what we are trying to do as a company in our brand vision is to open the scope. You know, you said hybrid is a small company, but in the eyes of many hybrid probably would be in the, you know, if not the uh, top in the top um I guess, small businesses within the industry. And a lot of people would see hybrid as a, as a large company. Right. And I, I love that because our brand vision is to, we think that the current education provided to fitness business owners actually closes their scope and, and narrows what they actually believe is possible. And um, especially kind of when we talk about technology, right. You know, technology opens that scope. Um, and, and again, that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you, um, which is, is really, really cool. So, I want to dive now and, and I guess take this into some considerations um, for, you know, the people listening to this podcast that, you know, over the next say 12 months or even 24 months um, 
as we really start to move into this digital era and this digital kind of space in the fitness industry, what, what are the considerations and what are the, I guess, the, the key things that you believe uh, the everyday coach, business owner, clinician, whatever it is they're doing should be um, taking in and keeping an eye on and, and even starting to action when it comes to digitizing their business model? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I mean, to address the previous point, right? Um, Peloton is a big business, right? We are a small business. You know, just because we're bigger than most small, you know, most small businesses we talk to or most, or that there's a lot of aspiring business owners, right? Doesn't mean we're, I think of small as like lean and scrappy and relatively young, which is what we are. Um, but, and that might be a good idea to stay small. I, like, I know there's some businesses like, yeah, we're 300 people, we're small. We're going to be small forever. We like it. Um, so that's kind of my two cents on that. I think, yeah, people who work in fitness tend to think small, right? Like really small. It's like, man, I'm going to work in a big company with 30 people. I was like, you know, they're companies with like 100,000 people, you know? <laughs> like Amazon. I think I Amazon's up to like 1.5 million or something. <laughs> yeah. Try working with one of those. Try working with 100,000 engineers. Like, you know, you're like, oh, so that's, that goes into my point is like, um, I think the, the bar for digital experiences is so high because there are companies with a hundred thousand engineers working on that thing. Yeah, right? exactly. Facebook.com has a hundred thousand engineers working on that interface. And everyone's like, why can't I have dark mode on my site? It's like, do you know what it takes to put dark mode on a the site? They had to rebuild. Listen to the passion in his voice. Cause yeah. you know what it takes. <laughs> like they, 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 Facebook has redone their front end for microseconds of performance like seven times. You know, <laughs> you know Crazy. They, rewrite, they they go down to the level of of to very low levels to 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 make sure that first load is really fast and really consistent and that you get the data you need and that you don't drain people's batteries. Like they are they are engineering that site like like just right. It's 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 more complicated than getting the space. To, to, to build a fast website that works anywhere in the world that's that serves a different experience to every user in the world um, for good or bad reasons but politics aside but like but people see Facebook and expect every site to be as good as Facebook so so that's it's a it's a tough challenge but um, but know that if you give a trash website you know, or a trash experience, or you make the user jump through a million hoops just to get something that they think should be easy, that users recognize that as a, as a terrible experience. And might, that might be the reason why they would not do more business with you. Right. And we know that we know that just like little things matter and they matter, you know, at a, at a low level and they matter in terms of percentages. So it doesn't make that big of a difference when you, when you're on a small scale, but obviously the more you scale, the more, the more of an absolute difference it makes like that time the flows, like the shift in the site um and that's why people end up kind of you know mostly buying stuff that they're not prepared to really invest in and build which is fine but that just means you need to be a smart consumer because there's a lot of options out there um and so, so you, would you say that one of those considerations then is is friction right like do, do you think that that's probably a core consideration when it comes to digitizing a business model yeah, like you want to remove, yeah, there, the idea is there are options out there for your customers to make their lives easier. And if you don't give them those options, they will find someone who does potentially, right? Or that's an easy way to, for someone to compete against you. It's like, if everyone's doing it, you kind of have to do it and it's not going to differentiate you, but it's just part of the arms race of, of, of 
our industry, which is being served by these these platforms, which are which are filling a need in, in that they are making the experience of of customers engaging in fitness, which is a big industry, easier, right? And removing kind of the right the friction, or I call it like like boilerplate or or just kind of pain of their of their life cycle, which is like you know finding and delivering workouts, getting feedback, communicating, you know, logging and storing results. Um, so they kind of handle all that stuff that should be automated and more and more of it can be automated over time, you know, with more sophisticated applications. And, and also more dangerously is those automated apps can get pretty good at a much lower price point. So they're gonna, so they tend to drive down the value unless you, unless your value um, proposition is different, right? Unless it's, it's right. Right. Unless you yeah. kind of very have, or very clearly separate what you're offering from what a mass fitness product is offering. It's like, how are you, how are you different than Peloton? Right. Cause Peloton is a ridiculous value proposition. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's a soul cycle experience for one, for the price of one soul cycle class per month. Right, so you can take a hundred soul class, you can take a hundred Peloton classes, which are arguably better experiences than one soul cycle class for the price of one soul cycle class in your home, right? More conveniently, right? So like, so that's a value proposition, and they do that with technology and great product design, right? And some mechanical engineering that's really good, like the bike is really sturdy. Um, I think it's some, yeah, right. Really, it's a really good point, and I think one of the biggest mistakes that business owners make, especially in the fitness industry, because what we talked about before, the scope, right? They, 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 they think small in a sense. And the biggest mistake that people make is that they don't see Peloton as a competitor and they go, yeah, well, you know, we're personal trainers. We do face-to-face, -face. like, you know, they're never going to take clients of us. And it's like competition exists at many different levels. And I think one of the things when creating a product that people need to understand is that every single person has a certain amount of resources right, that they can afford to spend. So they're either, you know, our two main resources are time and money. So something that you said before about, you know, when we're talking about friction, well, the reason that friction is considered a pain point and could end up in them not using your service is because you're costing them time. Time yeah. is a valuable resource, right? So when we think about competition, we've got to open our scope and say, well, you know, it's not just about the narrow competition, you know, as a, as a personal trainer, I'm not just competing with the other personal trainers in my gym. I'm also competing with, you know, again, the people that are coming in to see us, they're spending resource with us. They're spending both time and money, right? So can, can they get the same user experience, the same fulfillment, the same level of self-actualization, all of these things that really kind of matter in the customer's mind, can they get all of that, you know, from spending less time, and less money. And I think that's, that's a key insight, I guess, when it comes to friction. And I think it's a big mistake that people make when it comes to competition. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think indirect competition is, is, is a term that people should kind of internalize or just not the idea that they're taking clients away or that they're just providing a better experience, right? That's, that's divorced from like your domain knowledge. Like, I don't care that you're a better trainer that you went to school for it. It's like the people in that at whatever we're building Apple fitness, some of them also went to school for it. And some of them are probably pretty knowledgeable. They just, they're just operating at a different scale and with a different set of product constraints, but they are really focused on, they have many, the, 
aside from the diff the different amount of resources they have, but they are also obsessing over the problem of of how to get people more excited about fitness, right? Right, because Lily Peloton's mission is like delivering world class fitness experiences in the home, right? That's like that's what they do, you know. And they have they have a company that just kind of works towards that. So the idea is. Um, aren't we all kind of doing the same thing, maybe not in the home, but we have, we kind of have to audit what our competitive advantage is and make sure that we're at least matching competitors in the areas that aren't our advantage, right? So we can then differentiate for our individual market, right? Which could be a very niche, right? The idea is like, you can differentiate from Peloton that you go after a market that Peloton doesn't care about or that Apple doesn't care about, right? Apple would never care about powerlifters who are super strong right? yeah exactly right it's like you know it's like weightlifting right so yeah. can we provide the same frictionless experience uh in weightlifting but because we're in weightlifting which is you know highly it's a skill right like it's it's a it's a skill that needs to be acquired over time and especially as you as you creep up the levels there's going to be a, a greater need for probably that individualized coaching in a sense right so it's understanding that um and that's a really great way to put it, you know, that um, I, I think you did before. It's like, you know, we just got to match them, you know, like, and that's really what it is, is like, you know, for the individual coaches out there, if there's something that you take away from this podcast, when it comes to digitizing your business model, it's probably try to match them on a, a you know, maybe a production side, but also a customer experience side. Um, uh, maybe, you know, you're never going to be able to match them in terms of the technology, but try to try to create the type, the same type of experience, because I think, what that does for you is it matches you and then you can differentiate with, um, you know, within that kind of niche or, you know, uh, in when it comes to the, the skills that need to be acquired. Yeah. Cause I mean, you can take cues from all of them, even just like, cause I'm, it's a big, it's a very scalable model to like do these, like these follow along classes or like this over the top model, right. Where you're basically streaming content, right. That's both Apple fitness and Peloton and basically all of their competitors. And all these like in the home devices, like tonal and stuff, which are the big kind of, which is the big money market. Um, they're all, they all make a pretty decent attempt at trying to educate their consumer to like use the product better. Right. So we all could take cues from how they do that. Right. At scale. Right. And how they personalize and how they, how they navigate that challenge of, of personalization at scale, which is, which is real that like, if you can get that, that's, that's much more market value than most small businesses could ever hope to capture. Right. Um, that goes back to, right. Tesla is a, is an AI business, right? They make computers that go in their cars and their cars are mostly computers. And then, <laughs> and similarly, these big fitness companies are just are big AI businesses that are collecting a lot of user data and trying to give back, personal information that's helpful, right? Um, and there's a lot of gamification involved in trying to get people, like, you know, into that, in, right? Try to enforce certain habits, right? You know, like these rewards and this, this kind of slot machine behavior. Goal enrichment and these kind of things. Yeah. yeah, so like, and that's very, it's very easy to do for fitness. And it's like, it works in so many other domains. Like Robin is an example of how it works in trading. It's like you throw confetti at people and you give them XP points and you unlock levels. It's like people, will just people find your application addictive and it's just like if you can do that with a fitness app which is inherently like uncomfortable but there's also this reward at the end of it 
and then you lay down more reward by giving them points, you know, they create this experience that is kind of, you know, self-fulfilling, right? That, that's so, right, that it, it's training people to, to, to continue to engage because they also know that there's this kind of, that these models, um, that these business models are really dependent upon long-term user engagement. Um, so that's also another thing is like, I think some, in some corners of fitness, people are like, I need to sell this many PDFs to, to make this much money. It's like, no, you need to sell a lot of subscriptions, right? You need to sell, you need to have, you know, long-term recurring clients if you're a small personal trainer, right? Which is a different business model because it's long-term value that's building over time. And there's an initial kind of time to value. Can you like, which is hard in fitness, right? It's like, how can you get people to buy in early? And then how can you keep them engaged for a long period of time? And a gamification is called like an end game. It's like, how deep is your end game? It's like, at what point do they like solve the game and are bored with it and they move on versus like, is there like an infinite amount of progression they can have? Like, or is it like chess? So it's like, do they can, can they never get too good at your, at your service? Right. So that they're kind of motivated to continue. And that's hard to do. Right. But that that's such a good point. Yeah. You know, I think that's probably one of the, that'd probably be one of the hardest things to do as a, as a face-to-face personal trainer. Right. Like what's the, what's the thing, you know, that how can you continuously gamify what you do to give the the customer an experience that they don't get bored of, right? That's mastery, that's mastery of personal training. Like if you're an average, like I think, especially in any industry, people tend to overestimate their skills, right? If you get a lot of client, I mean, you obviously want to make clients self-sufficient, but you want to make them like, you want to, I think in my mind, the great personal trainers, like, oh, my client now goes and works out on their own, but they come back to have like fun with me, right? Or they come back to learn new stuff, right? because they're kind of hungry to learn new things. And if they come to you for a couple months, like, oh no, I know how to count my own reps. I know the thing we do every every Tuesday, so I just do it myself now. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. But you haven't, that might not be good for you. And it's also there's, there's, so that's healthy in one way and that's like encouraging people to be self-sufficient, which is nice. But you can have that and also have that deep end game where they're always, where, where you've kind of, inspire them to kind of start this kind of never-ending journey of learning about fitness right mm. um and that's, that's, that's it, it, it's, with everyone but that's i think that's like i mean that's what we talked about in like rehab is like how do you create and people who are engaged with the rehab program is like you got to make it a game you know how do you create in an on-field kind of practice scenarios is like the more game like it is while enforcing some sort of you know um skill of development then the more people are going to be engaged and the more they're going to get out of it. So in general, that idea of the gamification is really, is really what I took from coaching and, and clinical practices. Like when you're doing something physical, you are solving a movement problem that is essentially a game, right? There's a, there's a success condition and a failure condition, and there's some reward for success. Um, but the idea is that should be matched to your ability level and there should be no upper bound to, to, to your ability to basically match a task to that person's ability right there's no there's no right there is no final level in, in that analogy um, and that's the challenge I right like yeah i hope that helps for like in person personal trainers thinking about it a little differently so you're not just 100%. like throwing, you're not just like throwing balls around just to make it fun but you're actually creating novel challenges um in certain ways but also and again that's the art of it is like yeah, there's a certain amount of repetition, just progression that you need to do, but there's also opportunities for that novelty 
um, but not for its own sake, right? Um, in my mind, it's easier in a digital product because you're like, it's very clear how people play games in a digital product, and you can just mimic some of that to to encourage certain behavior. It's like if you want people to work out consistently, you create rewards for streaks, right? If you want people to to record all of their metrics, you create rewards for rewarding metrics, and you create some sort of like weird, you know, little penalty for not like reminding them if they didn't or something like that, but not necessarily mm -hmm. like forcing them to do anything, but like patting them on the back when they do something that you think they should do and and nudging them in that direction when they don't do it, right? Um, for sure. Yeah. 100%. It's, it's, and I, I mean, it's really interesting that we talk about that because that's, that's probably what, you know, I mean, for a, a consumer who's not, sorry, not a consumer, for a business owner who, um, you know, isn't 110% in that uh, techno, technology, uh, technological space, one of the things that you've got to try to do is to, to find a way to, to gamify, right? And, and to get continuously gamify, you know, like you said, unlocking levels giving these paths on the back, how do we get to a point where we can track that? And I think that's where, that's where I would see that you're going to see the most progress, especially now that we are in, you know, very quickly moving to this technological age, right? Where, you know, the Palatons and the Apple fitnesses and these guys are, they're, they're kind of moving at the speed of light and um, you know, the, the rate of technological growth is only going to compound from here on in. Right. So it's one of those things that if you can start to, to like you said before take some of these insights and start to implement in, into your business on a smaller scale um i think you're going to see some you're, gonna, you're probably going to start to separate yourself from the pack um which is kind of what we're talking about with digitizing your business in a sense yeah so i think it goes back to like people being aware of those things because they're in the market right there's technology companies that see that opportunity and are, and are selling that to to businesses that are dealing with the end consumer and so it's really up to the business owner to like really curate that experience from the tools they have available so at any level you still need to know the tools that are available and it's like worth the time to in, to invest in exploring them and to like you know to try them and and kind of go through that process i think a lot of people there's some people who are really inclined to do that they tend to be engineers like they love learning tools and figuring out how these tools work but some people who aren't that that kind of of that disposition don't and they think of they think like of dealing with these like it's learning another thing you know, it's like, why doesn't, why isn't the thing I already have good enough? Like, why aren't my spreadsheets good enough? I already know how to do those. I don't need to go through this learning curve again. Um, they think the experience of learning it is just full of like irritation, but that is like debugging, right? I don't know how to do something. I spend 10 minutes figuring out how to do something. That was like a waste of time. I think that's a barrier to learning anything technological and especially the computer science. Cause like your program never works. You can spend, you know, a week not knowing why your program works. Right, but eventually it works, right? But people thought, think that's like wasted time who are not like, who are not into that stuff. And that's kind of their barrier to continuing. And that's also why there's such a, such a steep learning curve potentially in, in my mind at least. Um, but it's, I think that con that's the same conversation that kind of needs to be reframed is that that is time well spent learning how something works through, through trial and error and through experience, right? And it's a short, it's, it's a short term mindset, right? Like, you know, it, it's like, you know, yeah, I'm spending potentially what 40 hours now, um, down the line uh, now to learn something. And that's probably on the higher end, you know, like you could probably gain some insight on this stuff in, in 10. Right. 
and, and spending that 10 hours in the short term may not seem worth it, but what it could save you in the long term is the difference between only being able to scale your business with hiring new people um, yeah. or other coaches compared to maybe potentially really digitizing your business model, which creates large economies of scale and, um, you know, allows you to really scale your company um, quite yeah. aggressively. And I think, and I think if you're the business owner, your mandate is to know, not to know everything about everything, but to know a little bit about everything. Exactly. Right. right? And, and that's what opens the scope. Yeah. So you, if you haven't fiddled with it, you kind of know how it works and you just kind of delegate it to someone else. You're, that's, 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 you know, that kind of makes me nervous. Um, so, right. And since, right, it's ultimately you're responsible for it. So you should feel kind of some ownership over it. Um, so that should be motivation enough. Two, yeah, like that that short-term mindset of like, yeah, this learning curve is steep now, but it, it, it gives me superpowers and like next in the yeah. next week, you know, yeah. like why wouldn't you do that? You know, that was my thing. There's a big movement in kind of this data science world of like, Excel is nice, but there's a certain point where Excel, there's you sunk so much into Excel that like you should have just learned to code and it takes like, it's much easier just to do all of what you did in, in in a, in a programming language than to like coax the Excel interface into giving you this chart, you know, and it's always going to be that much work and you've invested so much time into learning everything about Excel. There's like people who have to do any sort of work with, you know, spreadsheets should probably just migrate to um, uh, these kind of programming notebooks, like Google hosts them too. Like, so you can have a hosted Python environment and, and just manipulate your data there. There's just an initial learning curve of, of learning some Python, right? But once you get through that, you're like, oh, I can deal with, I can do things with my data so much faster, so much easier. I can save it for later and reuse it. You know, I can do all these amazing things with software and not have to spend 10 hours a week fiddling with spreadsheets. I can actually automate most of the admin work. And, and my, my message is take note, right? Like this is, this is, if you want to be a great business and you kind of want to start to move beyond just, you know, beyond the pack and really start to digitize your business and then, then really take note because um, it, as I said, hybrids, obviously, you know, a company that is still a small, small business in, in kind of, if we're talking the, in the technical technical terms right but but it's one that's accelerating and is able to move at the speed of light and and you know yeah. if you want to if you want to make something of yourself over the next 10 years in the in the industry then i think that's some great advice for anybody that does yeah so one one thing i want to add because it just came to my head another quote that i like about, about engineering i think i have a book um somewhere here um um it was it's a book about like software engineering principles there's another one is like Software engineering is, or engineering in general is, you know, the practice of building things you've never built before. You know, so there's learning baked into it because you have to learn how to build it. So there's a lot of practices for great engineering that we can take to any business endeavor. And that's one of them is like really doing anything valuable business is building something that's never been, that you've never built before. It may have been built similarly by someone else, but the exact version that you're building has never been built before. So to do that, you have to upfront know that there's going to be a lot of learning involved, and it's not always as clear as it is in 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 other domains, which is also that, that's the, yeah. I look at business that way, though, right? Like that's the way I look at business. It's like if yeah. I want to go to some place that I've never been, I've got to learn the stuff that I don't know. You know, like 
that's where my passion for business comes from. It's like, I'm, I'm the engineer of my business. I'm, you know, I've got to understand the function. And if there's a function that I don't understand, then that's always going to be my rate limiter. Right. And, and I think that's one of the things when it comes to business, I really, I fucking hate it, man. Like I'm going to be honest about the fitness industry is that narrowed scope is because, you know, it's obviously it's because of the past education, right? Like, but you know, naturally it's like, you know, you're the engineer of your business and your business won't grow unless you have that curiosity, curiosity and, and that, that will to learn whatever is needed to learn because you've got that inner engineer in you, you know? So, um, yeah. So, like, yeah so my thing with that is right. People can refuse to kind of deal with that distance because they can lie to themselves or you can't lie to a computer, right? You have to have a very explicit contract with a computer, right? So it does what you want it to do and you can't lie to it and it doesn't lie back to you. So you have to learn these things, right? But in, in the business environment, you're like, yeah, I'm building my business, but all I'm doing is chasing the next dollar at the expense of the dollar after that, right? Or I'm not actually thinking long-term about how I'm building you know, a stable right, um, system that actually delivers meaningful value to, to people's lives. It's like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Right? We can just tell other stories to ourselves and continue on kind of, you know, living this unobserved business life, you know, but if you were forced- That is, to- that is if there's one thing you take away from this podcast, it is that. That is one of the best ways to put it. Um, I'm going to steal that. I'm definitely going to fucking steal that because that is the- that is a, the dissidence that sits with 80% of the industry. Right. And, and that's why the, the, that, that, you know, we talk about it, the, the scope is so narrow, the, the possible, the, what is possible is so narrow, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, they don't, unfortunately business owners don't believe what's possible because they're always chasing that next dollar. And it's yeah, a shame, man, because, you know, our industry and what happens in it is, you know, if we can raise the, the minimum standard, just by 10%, you know, just imagine what the industry is capable of. Yeah. I mean, that was my complaint with like the rehab world too, is that I just wasn't happy with, with the, the way people thought about it. And I wasn't happy with, you know, um, kind of that, that, that level of care detail people took, you know, towards what they actually deliver to people. And also the, the care and attention they took to their own kind of progression, right? There was like a point where people were just satisfied and, and it's okay to be, I'm not saying like be hard on yourself, but I'm saying is like you, you do so much better for the world when you learn for its own, for just to learn, not knowing what you're not at with the expectation that you get something immediately back for it just because it's part of what you do. And that enriches, well, it just, I think it enriches, I value it so it enriches my life, but also, it enriches your ability to to help other people through right through through your work in ways that you don't immediately understand um and it's never like a bad idea right i think i've said told several people it's like learning anything is a good idea it doesn't matter what it is right so as long as it interests you right it's not a waste of time right Especially, I mean, especially if it's not, especially if you're not paid, if you're paid, you know, for certain, if you're paid by the hour and it's not during your job, you know, then it's definitely not a waste of time. Um, but if you're a business owner, then sometimes I think people might feel like it's like, it's a distraction or it's not the thing they should be doing to build their business. 
Um, but if you, and that might be the case, but if you can get to the point where it is your job to learn things, then, then you, then I feel like it is your mandate to do that and to show people that you, that, that you do it not to prove how smart you are, but just to, just to be an example for what you expect from people. And also so to genuinely figure out new solutions to, to novel problems, right? Because you, it's hard to know what's possible without learning, right? Without continuously learning um, what other people are doing or, or, or what the possibilities are, right? It's music to my ears, man. Um, I, I think that last passage of mm. probably the last couple of minutes is will give a lot of insight, and I think it's magical in a sense. You know, like a, that kind that actually made me emotional in a, in, a, in a little way because I think I feel very similar to that in in you know our brand vision as a company of what we're yeah, trying to do. You have an education company, exactly right, and and I think that's something that's getting lost, especially in the business space. Like you know, a lot of people. You know, and this has been, it's the program mentality where it's like, oh, you know, I invested this capital, I should be getting X return and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, education, that's, that's not what it's there for education. Like you said, learning for the sake of learning is a beautiful thing. And I think it's an, it's a lost, a lost art or a lost concept um, when it comes to business, unfortunately, yeah. because business is viewed through a different lens, potentially to what acquiring a skill maybe such as becoming a great powerlifting coach or, you know, acquiring these skills that makes you a great powerlifting coach and these kind of things, or, you know, weightlifting coach, bodybuilding coach, whatever it is that you do. I think business, if it's looked at through the same lens, you know, will create such a higher standard of business owner in the industry. So, so you were recently involved in the writing of a book. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to give that a little plug and tell everyone a little bit about that? Yes, time to plug the book. Um, the book is called Back in Motion. Um, it's really a, a book about um, back pain. It's a prescriptive book about kind of what to do when you experience back pain, whether it's like serious injury or kind of recurring back pain. Um, it has a lot of stories, like obviously it features Steffi's story since she co-wrote it um, and really kind of drive like the face of it. Um, we also have like Matt Frazier and Hathor Bjornsson really talk about their experience with, with pain as a lead athlete. and mm-hmm. Um, we just try to give people context around back pain so that they're more empowered to deal with it. And that is kind of for the coach, you know, client and clinician. So there's kind of a little bit of something for everybody. And it's kind of in language that anyone can understand. So it's not a clinical book at all. And it's short and digestible. So we're selling that through our website and you go to, um, the, what's the website? <laughs> you can go to highperformancemethod.com and it'll be under the back in motion tab. Um, I think it's slash back in motion. Um, yeah, and it's and it will be available shortly. So if you, it's available for pre-order of this record as of this recording. But probably when this is released, you should be you when you buy it, it should be shipped to you. Um, yeah. So awesome. I mean that plug. So and also generally, generally you can find me at highperformancemethod.com where we sell training and nutrition and uh, digital courses and more stuff to come. Awesome. Big thanks for coming on the podcast, man. And I will definitely uh, probably be shooting you a lot of messages in the near future. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. I 
I just want to say a big thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the show. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button. Uh, feel free to share us, share the episode with your friends and family, and feel free to leave us a review as well. Uh, you know, we all the support that we get for the for the show, and especially now that we've revamped it, uh, we're trying to bring something that's got a little bit more value. It's definitely appreciated. And if you have a question uh, for strategy sessions next week, you want us to take a bit of a deep dive and help you work through some of the roadblocks in your business, or you just want some help creating some winning strategy, you can shoot me an email at kyle at elitevitalitycoaching.com. But I'll leave it there. Until next week, stay safe, stay, safe, stay healthy, uh, and I'll see you on the other side.